0: Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, we're going to continue our Mindset Matters theme from episodes 108 and 112. This time, we'll be talking about productive habits. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 114. This episode is brought to you by the Productive Woman Mastermind Groups. Now, these are small groups of women who are committed to making a life that matters and to supporting and encouraging each other toward accomplishing their goals. These are paid groups facilitated by me that meet weekly via video conference. They share goals, wins, struggles, and ideas for overcoming the obstacles that that sometimes stand between us and the meaningfully productive lives we want. New groups will be forming very soon to start meeting right after the first of the year. I I think this is a great time to kick off the year well, and uh, it may be the perfect time for you to be a part of it. Spaces are very limited, though, and I am going to start assembling these groups in November, early December of 2016 to start right after the first of the year. So if this is something you're interested in, visit my Work With Me page at theproductivewoman.com mastermind. There you'll find more information about the masterminds, how they work, and a link to the short online application. If you have any questions, you can email me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. I would love to have you as part of a group in 2017 and getting our year off to a great start. All right, so let's get into the topic for this week. We're talking, as I said, continuing our Mindset Matters theme where we've talked about Uh, you know, productive thoughts, productive beliefs. Now we're talking about productive habits. And, you know, it raises the question, well, how does, what is a habit and how does that relate to that theme of mindset matters? Well, somewhere I read a quote and it's attributed to uh, various people, but I I think more correctly, to a a man named Will Durant, who's an American writer and historian. And he said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Now, you know, I read this. I like it. And there's so much significance there. But I want to say, I don't think this is in conflict with what I said back in episode 112 Which is, you know, that belief that we are not what we do, we are more than what we accomplish. There, I was talking about us measuring our worth by what we do. That's not what this is about. What Durant is saying um, in this quote that we are what we repeatedly do, that what we present to the world is found in our habits, our repeated actions, and our behaviors. And what we're able to accomplish, while it doesn't define us, is very much found in those things that we repeatedly do. So what is a habit? You know me, I'm a I'm a lawyer, I'm a word person. I like to know what the words mean that we're talking about. So, you know, I looked up that question and various online dictionaries had uh, definitions of habit as a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, Another dictionary defined it as a usual way of behaving or something that a person does often in a regular and repeated way, an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. I especially like this definition. I forget now where I found it. I think it was the Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online. Uh, it defined habit as the prevailing disposition or character of a person's thoughts and feelings or mental makeup. That was one of the definitions of habit in that dictionary. And this follows very much along the lines of the mindset matters we've talked about in previous episodes, that our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings motivate our actions and thoughts and ways of thinking and feeling can very definitely become habitual our our habits those automatic behaviors that take place without our conscious thought can help us achieve our goals or they can undermine our goals depending on what they are and so i thought it was interesting to look into how habits are formed because that helps us understand how we can change our habits or develop new and more productive habits. And what i found in the research and the reading that I did is that habits are the result of our brains need to conserve energy. Our brains favor the familiar, whether in action or in thought. They, Our brains go toward, veer toward, uh, have a f- favoritism toward things that are familiar to them. And uh, one of the best sources I found for information about habits in general uh, um, is in a book that I've mentioned, I think, on the show in the past, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, and I'll have a link for this in the show notes. I first uh, listened to the audio version of the book and just found it so fascinating, uh, both in the... Discussion of the science behind how our brain works and how habits are formed and changed, but also in the very practical ideas that he gives in the book for how to do this. And I'm going to share some quotes from the book because I think it gives context for what I'm going to talk about later in the show about productive habits. And so one of the things Duhigg says in the book is that habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down more often. This effort-saving instinct is a huge advantage. And he's talking about sort of in an evolutionary sense or a developmental sense um, uh, and the survival of the species. And going back into the, the quote, he says, an efficient brain that is, uh, and I'm commentating here, uh, by efficient brain, he means one that can accomplish what it needs to do l- using the least amount of energy. An efficient brain requires less room, which makes for a smaller head, which makes childbirth easier and therefore causes fewer infant and mother deaths. So that's the point. The the survival of the species, of the human species, ha- has favored this um, Conservation of energy in our brains for the reasons he describes there. And he goes on to say, and this is important to us um, as what we're, we're going to talk about later in this episode. He goes on to say, an efficient brain also allows us to stop thinking constantly about basic behaviors, such as walking and choosing what to eat, so we can devote mental energy to inventing spears, irrigation systems, and eventually airplanes and video games. That's uh, the end of that particular quote. But understand what this means, that um, our, our brain favors the familiar. It favors whatever it can do to conserve energy. And dealing with new and novel things and change requires more brain activity, more energy. So our brains tend toward the familiar for that reason, to conserve energy. And that means that if we are pursuing a goal for instance, that contradicts a deeply ingrained habit, whether it's a habit of activity or a a habit of thinking, our mind has to work harder, which contradicts or goes against that instinctual drive to conserve energy. And this inclination toward the familiar is why we can develop certain mindsets, habits of thinking Such as, for many of us, we so easily tend toward criticizing ourselves, as an example. Our instinctive, our immediate, almost unthinking reaction when we make a mistake is to beat up on ourselves about it, to criticize ourselves or condemn ourselves. That is a habit of thinking. And understanding how habits are formed becomes really important to understanding how we can change our habits or develop new habits that serve us better. So that's a principle to keep in mind, that habits result from our brain's need, tendency, drive to conserve energy that causes it to favor the familiar path. Second thing to think about here in the formation of habits, that habits are activated and controlled by a primitive part of the brain called the basal ganglia. And in the book, The Power of Habit, he kind of describes where that is. And I I just found it really interesting. You might not, but it's worth looking at. Um, When the basal ganglia is working, when we, we basically are on autopilot, acting out of habit, during that time, the more sophisticated parts of our brain, the, the, the parts of the brain that control higher and more complex levels of thinking are not working. So they are at rest, so to speak. Those two things together I find very interesting. And and it's the reason why we can, as he talks about in the book, and if you just think about it, one of the great examples he uses is when we learn to drive. And when you're first learning to drive, every step of it you have to think about and concentrate on, focus on, whether it's backing out of the driveway or Pulling into a parking space, or just navigating down the street and changing lanes and turning, you know, one direction or the other, Um, you know, every step from putting the key in to and buckling the seatbelt and all those steps, you have to think about them and focus on them, and you really can't do anything else when you're learning how to do a a complex behavior like driving. But now, you know, I'm in my mid-fifties. I've been driving for. You know, since I was 15 years old, so 40 40 years, um, I don't have to think about a lot of that stuff. Now, you know, I'm, again, failing to think about what we're doing when we're doing something like that can lead to accidents. But we don't have to think about every step the way we did in the beginning, which is why as we're driving down the street and you know going from home to the grocery store or whatever, if we've got somebody in the car with us, we can talk to them while we hit the turn signal without thinking about it. I guess unless you grew up in Texas where they don't seem to want to use the turn signals, but that's a different story. Um, but we, you know, if we need to change lanes, we look in the mirror, we'd hit the turn signal, we do all those things while carrying on a conversation with the person in the passenger seat. That's because it has become a habit, it has become automatic. The basal ganglia takes over control of that, leaving the more higher functioning parts of our brain to carry on conversations or to Think really hard about a, a problem we're trying to solve while we're driving, and and those are important things to know about. So in the creation of habits, as we're getting into this, um, Duhigg talks about something called habit loops, and and I'm going to quote from the book here because this is he just describes it well. First, there is a cue, a trigger that tells your brain to go into automatic mode and which habit to use. Then there's a routine which can be physical or mental or emotional. Finally, there is a reward, which helps your brain figure out if this particular loop is worth remembering for the future. Over time, this loop, cue, routine, reward, cue, routine, reward, becomes more and more automatic. The cue and reward become intertwined until a powerful sense of anticipation and craving emerges. And that's where habits are developed as our our brain goes into this loop of when this happens, I do this, and the result is this reward. Here's the important thing to understand about all this. And again, I'm quoting from The Power of Habit. When a habit emerges, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. It stops working so hard or diverts focus to other tasks. So unless you deliberately fight a habit, unless you find new routines, the pattern will unfold automatically. So th- that's kind of a really brief summary of how habits are formed and this habit loop. And we'll talk about how we can apply that later on. So what does that mean? Um, it, to get more practical, how can we change a bad habit? Or if, if you want to use that term, I'm kind of using air quotes. I don't think there really is any value in labeling habits as good or bad. A habit really is neither uh, intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. It's only can be evaluated in terms of whether you like the results of that habit or you don't like it. And if you don't like the results or consequences of a habit you have, then consider changing it. And that raises the question of how do we do that? If we've got a bad habit, whether it's a thought habit of, like I mentioned earlier, beating up on ourselves when we do something Um, wrong or, you know, make a mistake, or whether it's an action habit of eating too much or procrastinating about something or spending too much time, you know, on the internet or um, dropping piles of things on a counter in the kitchen when we come in the door. You know, any number of things can become a habit. How do we change it if we don't like the consequence of that habit? willpower alone is not strong enough to break a bad habit. Every one of us can probably think of something that we do that we don't like, that we do but we and we make a decision I'm not going to do x anymore. I'm not going to lose my temper when my child misbehaves or I'm not going to, you know, eat a bowl of ice cream after dinner every day or whatever habit we've got. We make this decision you know, I'm just not going to do that anymore. But our willpower will only take us so far. Um, Willpower is uh, a skill and it's a muscle that can be developed. And the studies that are cited in, in Duhigg's book where he talks about willpower were fascinating. They lead to the conclusion that willpower can become a habit. So, but anyway, most of us, some people can, I guess, but a lot of times we struggle with exercising our willpower that I'm not going to do this thing anymore. The better approach is to replace the habit you don't like, to break the loop, so to speak, that cue routine reward habit loop that constitutes a habit. And so you can do that a lot of different ways. But you can change the cue, you can develop a new routine, the routine being the action that you take, or you can create a new reward. Changing any one of those will help you to change the habit. So, you know, what's an example that maybe of a habit that you have that does not serve you? You know, and I tried to think of something really productivity-oriented, but I guess what's on my mind these days... Is um, some food habits that I have, and so you know, this maybe is an easy example to give. It's real easy when I get tired, I um, I eat rather than doing something active, and there's nothing wrong with eating, but I don't like the results because even though I work out regularly, I'm not losing uh, some excess weight that I'd like to get rid of. So, how can I? change that? If that habit of eating out of boredom or eating out of when I'm tired or, you know, what, whatever that may be, if that's no longer serving me, what can I do to change that? Well, the process is the same kind of what, whatever habit you're trying to change, and that is to identify the pieces of the loop. So the routine is the thing you do, whether it's an action or a thought or whatever. The cue is the trigger that causes you to kind of automatically do that. Remember that when the habit emerges, it's controlled by our basal ganglia and our our higher thinking mind is kind of out of that process. And then the reward is whatever you get for the reward. And so for me maybe the cue is I've come home from a long day at work and I'm too tired to fix something healthy to eat so I you know get a bowl of ice cream. So the cue is I've I've come home from work I'm tired and maybe hungry, maybe not hungry, but I'm tired. And the routine, the thing I do is just go to the path of least resistance and get a bowl of ice cream for dinner. The reward is, you know, it tastes good and I'm not hungry anymore, but the result of it is not um, uh, not what I want. So the process then is to change one of those things. If the cue is that I sit down in front of the TV after a long day of work and that's what triggers me to go get something to eat, then I could change the cue. I could, instead of sitting down, I could put my running shoes on and my workout clothes and go for a walk. And, uh, you know, the reward for that is I feel better physically, etc. So I could change the cue so I don't put myself in that place where that habit kicks in. The routine, if I want to change the routine, if I want to eat while I watch TV, maybe I simply have prepared ahead of time and uh, have a, a bowl of fruit to eat or something like that. The, you can change the reward. Again, it's the same process, and the book goes into that in, in much greater detail. But the idea is that you change something in the loop um, to change the habit. And if you're habit that you don't like is that you pile papers on the kitchen counter when you come in and you're trying to declutter a little bit, then maybe you change the cue because you change your path coming into the house. Or you change the habit that when you come in, you've created a different place where you're going to put these things. So that's kind of how the process works. One key to the process that uh, all the research talks about is that as you're planning what your new habit is that you want to create, identify what the obstacles are likely to be and prepare a plan for dealing with those. And we'll talk about those more in a later episode. Um, In the last few minutes of this episode, I thought I'd talk about some productive habits that we could cultivate. And some of these we've talked about on past episodes. Um, Some of them, maybe not so much. We'll continue to talk about them going forward. And so, you know, as always, and I feel like I sound a little bit like a broken record in talking about this, but one really important habit to cultivate in making a productive life is writing things down. And so how do you cultivate this habit? If you have a habit of forgetting things that you need to buy or things that you need to do or you don't have a system in place for um, capturing your, your appointments and those sorts of things, you can develop a habit that will make you so much more productive of writing things down and you need to to do that you need to make it very easy for yourself so have a plan in place whether it's that you have a notepad always with you or a calendar on your phone or an app that you use to capture tasks or reminders but as we've talked about in the past simply Whatever that trigger is, the trigger may be an appointment. You know, you make you agree with a friend to meet for lunch. The action should be to write it down onto your calendar right then, right at that moment. Never let yourself say, Oh, I'll remember and I'll write it down later, but simply let the making of the appointment be the trigger that causes you to write it into your calendar. And, you know, if you're using a digital calendar, set an alarm. Um, that allows you sufficient preparation or travel time. The reward for that is the peace of mind that you have that you will not forget that appointment. And the same thing applies if it's a task, a project, something you need to buy. You're out of milk, whatever. And a piece of paper there on your refrigerator that you write it on. As soon as you notice that you're, you know, down to a quarter of a gallon or whatever. Um, but having having a plan in place for that, writing things down, developing that as a habit, can massively improve your productivity all by itself. A second habit to consider developing is uh, thinking ahead, planning ahead. For activities that you're going to do, not waiting till the last minute only to discover that you're missing key tools or resources or or you've missed a deadline or something like that, but thinking ahead to the activities that you're going to do that whether it's a trip or a project or something like that, and planning ahead of, to make sure you have the resources that you need for that. A simple uh, planning ahead habit that I encourage you to consider if you don't already do this, is um, before you end your work day or your business day, whatever it is, write down on a piece of paper or put into your app or put a sticky on your phone, however you do that, the three most important things that you need or want to get done the next day. Or even just the one thing. What one thing will make the most difference? And before you... You know, use the say if you were like me, you work at a desk a lot of the time. The last thing you do before you leave the office is to write down, look at your calendar, look at your to do list, and write down the the one to three things that you must get done the next day. The most important things, the things that will make the biggest difference for you um, in moving forward on your goals. And you can, as a trigger, use the you know logging out of your computer, for instance. or But some kind of trigger, something that you do at the end of each day, have that become the trigger for you to write down these three things so that you're ready for the next morning. Next habit that I think we all could benefit from developing is the habit of doing the most important thing first. And this sort of flows off what we just talked about, it calls for us to be very clear about our priorities and then to act in accordance with them. There's a great article I read, I'll put a link in the show notes called Put First Things First that talks about this. But the the idea is to plan your day in such a way that you start out doing the most important thing before you do anything else. And there are lots of uh, teachers who've talked about this. There's a great book called Eat That Frog, written by a man named Brian Tracy, who um, talks about the importance of doing kind of what he calls the worst thing first. But by worst, it's not really that it's horrible, but maybe that thing you've been putting off because it's so important, it overwhelms you. The name of the book, Eat That Frog, comes from a quote, something that Mark Twain once said that basically if the first thing you do each morning is eat a live frog, you can go through the rest of the day knowing nothing worse is going to happen to you than that. Um, But the idea is if if you do that big, most important thing first, you have set the tone for your day and Really gotten it off to a good start, and it's going to be a great day. Marie Forleo, a coach and teacher, says something similar. She encourages people to create before you consume. That is, do your key task first thing in the morning before checking your email, which is really just other people's priorities for your time, Uh, before checking social media, before watching TV, before doing anything else. Going back to the night before where you've already pre-decided what's the most important thing for the day, you do that first one key task first before you do anything else. Developing that as a habit can make a huge difference in our productivity over the course of a day rather than... Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've caught myself doing it, that tendency to sort of procrastinate, putting off doing the most important, doing lots of stuff, being very busy, getting things done and checking them off my list, but not that thing that's really important to moving my life forward. Another habit to develop and this is really a series of habits but but keeping white space in your life what I'm calling white space gap uh, margin in your life both in your schedule and in your space so white space in your cal- in your schedule might, um, be from a habit of leaving gaps between your appointments, leaving that white space in your calendar to give yourself time to think and breathe and prepare instead of scheduling things back to back to back, but looking at the days and, and leaving more white space than, than you have filled up as far as your space, the habit of, of weeding out your belongings and um, get, minimizing the stuff that we have. There was an article that I read, and again, I'll put this, uh, a link in the show notes where it talks about um, those of us who keep too much stuff, hoarding it, you know, we're not all hoarders, but, but if we're keeping stuff that is not necessary, that doesn't bring us joy, or that we don't use every day. day, There's studies have been done that say that it could be actually impacting our our emotional and physical well-being in a very large way. And I'll put, a, uh, like I said, a link to this in the show notes. But this study at the Mayo Clinic points out that um, Women who live in a cluttered environment are likely to have high levels of cortisol in their system, and that's a stress-related hormone. And the Mayo Clinic says that overexposure to cortisol can disrupt Pretty much every body process. It's been associated with an increased risk of anxiety, digestive problems, heart disease, and weight gain, among many other issues. And surprisingly, men don't seem to suffer from this. So, um, you know, if if it seems to you that you know your cluttered home doesn't seem to bug your husband as much as it does you, that's probably right. The the studies are um, indicate that men simply don't suffer, don't feel the stress of a of a Cluttered home the way women do. So you can consciously develop a habit of decluttering your space. What would, you know, think about what the trigger would be and what the reward would be. Maybe the trigger is when you come in with some new, you know, a new book, you give a book away or two books away or something like that. The reward is that less cluttered space, a less stressful life. So developing that habit. Or series of habits that creates white space in your life can move you toward a more productive life. Another one I I wanted to talk about just briefly: the habit of developing routines in your life. These become habits in and of themselves, and they they move whatever that activity is from the higher thinking part of your brain back to the basal ganglia, they become automatic, which allows you time, space, energy to use your complex thinking capacity for more important things. And so developing routines, and we've talked about this in the past, and I, I'm planning to do kind of a series uh, in the first part of 2017 talking about routines and and. You know more of this productive habits kinds of things, but whether it's daily routines, so you know we've talked about having a routine in the morning, those things that you do to kind of get your day off to a good start, an evening routine to help you settle down and um, wind down and rest better. Uh, so having those daily routines in place help them become habits that you do that really are better for you know create a a more healthy environment for you emotionally, psychologically, and physically. Maybe you have weekly routines that you develop, and uh, I would encourage you to check out some of the work that Mike Vardy at The Productivityist has done on the topic of having themed days. And I'll put links in the show notes there, where certain days are for certain types of activity. This brings in that concept of batching tasks, which is a more efficient way of doing things. Because each time you start a new activity... Uh, it takes time to ramp up and time to wind down from the activity before. And so if you you batch them, you have one ramp-up time, one preparation time, one, one session of gathering the material. Say you're going to be responding to correspondence. Doing that all in a session is... Um, more efficient because you have one, one preparation time of getting, you know, the, whatever you're responding to and your paper and your pens and your stamps and all that kind of thing. And you do it all at once. Your brain is focused on that activity and you're not switching back and forth. And so whether it's, um, that kind of batching or just the the efficiency of say, if, One of your theme days is errands, doing all your errands on a single day so that you can have a day where you're at home, you know, working and not having to run out several times a week. So, again, check out what Mike Vardy's uh, written about some of that. Uh, One of the weekly habits, weekly routines that I encourage you to do is the weekly review that I've talked about in the past, where you kind of get the landscape of your life. You look at your project list, you look at your calendar, and you think about where you are, what kind of progress you're making on all of those. Having a routine for that, doing it the same day every week, can help that become a habit that you don't have to think about as much anymore, Similarly, you can have monthly routines that become habitual, days that you pay bills, days that you do certain household tasks, days that you do certain processes at the office, and annual routines that can become habitual. For me, it is habitual to schedule my annual physicals and all the medical tests or whatever for myself during the month that my birthday falls. I don't have to remember that because it's become a habit for me. So, if you want to create some routines that can become these productive habits, make a list of the regular activities that you do, the things that you do every day, or the things that you do every week, uh, the things that you do each month, and so on. And look at how you can create a routine around those where you do them the same day, the same time, the same way, in the same location to develop a habit out of that so that, again, your basal ganglia can take over, your your smarter brain doesn't have to focus on that anymore, and you can use that for other things. Part of that, I would encourage you uh, to, as you're creating routines, to include routines for self-care, routines that help you to get sufficient sleep, routines for regular exercise, for getting plenty of water, um, you know, one of the things, my routine when I get to the office is I, you know, turn on my computer and while it's booting up, I head down to the little kitchen and fill up a big glass of water and another mug of green tea. And and that's just my ritual that I do every morning. So it's a habit for me to have that there on my desk and I can keep drinking, you know, I drink it till it's gone and then when it's time to get up and move around a little bit, I go down and refill it. That's a habit for me that helps me to be healthier, to have more water in my system. And, you know, scheduling time, making in a routine for your own learning or personal growth, whether it's a book that you're going to read and maybe one of your routines or part of your evening routine is uh, to turn off the TV and turn off your screens and sit and read a chapter of a book that Um, nourishes your heart or your soul. But do include that in your routines and the habits that you develop. So those are just a few things we'll talk about more in episodes to come. Um, But what happens when your best laid plans fall apart because you've developed a habit or you've started to do really well on a habit, but then life intervenes? You know, Duhigg tells us in his book, The Power of Habit, that habits are powerful but delicate. That is, they really become an autopilot kind of thing that we don't have to think about. Many of the habits that we have, we're not even aware of. Um, But they can be disrupted by changes in our surroundings, in our circumstances, in our health, any number of things. And so a change that disrupts the cue for a habit can throw you off. Now, this can be a good thing. You can use it to your advantage because... For instance, the easiest time to quit doing something you don't like doing is when you're in a different location or situation. In the book, he talks about if somebody wants to quit smoking, the best time to do that is while you're on vacation because all your usual cues are disrupted, and it's easier to um, move out of that habit and create a new one. But on the downside, it's important to recognize that... um, those changes in our system can disrupt the habits that we're trying to create. So it's important to be aware of that and to plan for those contingencies, for the o- obstacles that can disrupt us. So if, for instance, here's a perfect example. A member of the Productive Woman community shared a really great article in our Facebook group just uh, today. She didn't know I was working on this episode about this, and I just happened to see that she had posted this on Facebook. It's an article written by an artist and coach named Cherry Jeffs, I'll put a link in the show notes. And the article is called, This is How You Successfully Maintain New Habits When Life Gets in the Way. And um, thanks, Lisa, for sharing this because it was really timely and really great. It's about preparing for those things that happen that throw us off our routine and derail our new new habits that we're trying to create. And what the article suggests is having what, sh- what she calls a when-then plan. In other words, when I can't do X, I'll do Y. And the example in the article is say you've cr- set, a, created a new habit of writing for an hour a day. You want to, you're a blogger, a novelist, or you know, working on nonfiction or whatever, but you've created this habit, um, that you want to write for an hour a day and you're doing really, really well, but then something happens, a a child gets sick or you go out of town or whatever, Uh, it breaks that chain. You've, you've done so well of, of establishing the habit, but now you miss a day or two because of something in that life happens. What, what you need to do is as you're establishing this habit, look ahead and know that those obstacles are going to occur those things are going to happen. And so be prepared for that. Think ahead. When something happens that I can't do my regular habit, I'm going to do this instead. How am I going to get past that? What's going to keep me going? So the example is I've had this habit or I'm creating a habit of writing for an hour every morning after breakfast and, uh, but I know that things are going to happen. A child's going to get sick or, um, I'm going to have to, you know, make an appointment that can only be during that time, whatever. So what am I going to do when I can't spend that hour? How do I stay connected with that habit when I can't spend the whole hour? And maybe it's going to be, um, when I can't spend my morning hour writing, I'll spend 10 minutes reviewing what I wrote last time and make a plan for the next writing session this works in a couple of ways. It, it helps keep us connected to the habit, which can silence that voice in our head that beats us up for breaking the habit streak. Um, and what she says in the article is, when we check in with our work, even for just five minutes, our inner critic backs down and our much more useful, what she calls critical faculty comes into play. Our critical faculty helps us readjust our plan to take account for the time we've lost and decide how to go forward. If we have a deadline for our creative work, it can help us plan catch-up sessions or decide what isn't absolutely critical to do. And when there's no deadline, our critical faculty will help us analyze how our work is going and where we can put our best energies in the next session. So that's, uh, you know, one example of how just having that plan in place. It also helps us to turn that interruption into a productive pause that we can use to assess what we're doing and decide whether we're on the right track or maybe need to change. Um, but the idea here is, and and Duhigg talks about this in the book quite a bit, people who are successful at developing new habits plan ahead. They look ahead, and they, as they're deciding what habit they want to start, whether it's, say it's an exercise habit, I'm going to go to the gym every day after work. Well, Some days I'm not going to want to, so how am I going to get myself to do that? Or some days I'm going to have an activity I have to go to after work and I can't get to the gym. What am I going to do when those obstacles um, pop up? Know that they're coming Think ahead and have a plan in place to deal with them. That's the key to developing a new habit. Look at the habit loop, think about what the cue is, what the activity or the the routine is going to be, what the reward is going to be. But the key to successfully developing a habit that will move us forward in our productivity is to know that the obstacles will come, think about them ahead of time, and have a plan for dealing with them when they arise. Because at the end of the day, living a meaningfully productive life requires us to adjust as life happens and to be willing to extend grace to ourselves, to be kind enough to yourself to allow the space to adjust and get back on track. And over time, those productive habits that we've developed will serve us better if we can be uh, willing to extend grace to ourselves. So those are some thoughts um, on productive habits that I had in, in thinking about all this. But what do you think? Are there habits that you use to stay productive and at peace? Are there um, strategies that you have in place for dealing with the habits that you've created in your life that don't serve you? I would love to have your feedback on this because this is really something that's been on my mind. And I, um, from uh, some of the feedback that I've been getting, uh, I think there are a lot of us who struggle with some of those. Things. So share your thoughts, share your feedback on this, Um, your questions or thoughts. There's lots of places you can share them in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com/slash/114 and scroll down to the comments or Post a comment or a question on the Facebook page, or even better, in the Productive Woman Community Facebook group so we can all weigh in on that. If you'd like to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email those questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. I love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, on the point of the, the, facebook group if you haven't already done so do join us in the productive woman community facebook group this is a private group where uh, we can meet up and interact more ask each other questions share information and articles and ideas and encouragement anything related to building a meaningful life um, visit visit us there you can find it i think it's uh slash group I think is the link that will get you there and just click on the join button. I'd love to see you there. If you find this podcast helpful, I would really appreciate it if you'd consider spreading the word, helping me spread the word, tell a friend, share an episode on your own social media channels, Consider leaving a review in iTunes if you haven't already. It really is an encouragement to me, and it helps other people uh, find the show just because of the way things work in iTunes. I want to say a special thank you to rn 137 who recently left a lovely little five-star review in iTunes. Um, she says, don't be fooled. This show isn't only about the latest tools, apps, and planners. And she put in parentheses, although Laura loves to talk about those. Um, she says, Laura delves into issues affecting our thoughts and feelings as well. Mindsets that affect our productivity in all areas of life. A must listen for the busy woman. So thank you, Kathy RN 137. I appreciate those encouraging words very, very much. Finally, if you're looking for more encouragement, motivation, accountability in achieving your goals and moving forward in a life that matters, consider joining the next session of the Productive Woman Mastermind groups. As I mentioned before, I'm forming groups now. As this uh, episode goes live, I'm reaching out to people who have applied in the past for the groups that will start meeting right after the first of the year. I think you will find them worth the investment, but spaces are limited. So check out... The information and the application, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash mastermind and email me today at feedback at theproductivewoman.com if you have questions. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I hope you found something in it that's helpful to you. I really would love your feedback and your ideas on this topic. So do, do reach out and share your thoughts in one of the ways we've talked about. I look forward very much to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.